Hello and welcome to Tinker Talks. This is an audio format podcast that discusses topics behind the fence of Tinker Air Force Base. Today we have the rare opportunity to sit down and have a conversation with the Air Force Sustainment Center Commander, Lieutenant General Gene Kirkland. We're going to discuss the sustainment, innovation, and the importance of the Air Force Sustainment Center to our national defense strategy, and quite a bit more, actually. Uh, so with, with that, sir, we uh, thank you for sitting down with us today, and, and good afternoon. Oh, hello. It's my pleasure. Thank you, sir. So before we jump into uh, all of our topics here, can you kind of give the audience a, about the 200-word or less uh, breakdown of who you are and how you got to this point? Oh, sure. Happy to. So... Uh, uh, after college and working a little bit in industry, I uh, sought uh, to join the Air Force, be part of this team, and I was fortunate that the officer recruiter uh, agreed to agreed to talk to me a little more. Um, came in through officer training school, was a was designated as an aircraft and munitions maintenance officer. Mm-hmm. I've had a career at field level and uh, uh, squadron command, uh, one group command. Um, picked up some nuclear maintenance along the way, which has kind of been my calling card. And after making one star, was uh, fortunate to join Air Force Materiel Command for the first time, where I got to command the Oklahoma City Air Logistics Complex right here at Tinker. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few more staff jobs, and now back as AFSC Commander. So it's just, uh, I'm a maintenance officer who, uh, who, who this one snuck through. <laughs> this one snuck through? Well, we're glad it did. Um, so there is a saying around the Air Force Sustainment Center, and that is, we are big business. Sir, can you can you take a little second and uh, explain to us what that means? Well, it's absolutely true. Uh, we're bigger than a lot of businesses out there, with forty thousand people across twenty six geographic locations. But but largely as Scott Hill Tinker and Robbins, uh, we lead. Uh, we provide a tremendous amount of readiness for our Air Force and joint partners. Uh, three air, air logistics complexes or depots, three air base wings that really are nothing less than power projection platforms for our depots, uh, but more importantly, our mission mission tenant wings that are at the bases right. and two supply chain wings. Uh, tremendous synergies between all those those operations. Um, a lot of resources, 27 billion or so in assets, but uh, we do about 11 billion uh, annually in economic impact to our communities as well. Uh-huh. And, and I would say there that the local communities are a huge part of that support system that make us tick. That is huge. Big business is no kidding. Uh, and as you mentioned earlier, sir, uh, coming up through through your ranks and your commands, you did previously serve here as the Oklahoma City Air Logistics Complex Commander. Did that knowledge of the AFSC help you when you came back and took command of such an enormous and important organization? It was a tremendous preparation for, for this opportunity. To begin with the timing, uh, joining the Oklahoma City Depot in 2012 was right at the beginning of the Air Force Sustainment Center mm-hmm. journey, and more importantly, the art of the possible uh, constraints-based methodology that we use as, as our as our culture. Um, I got to uh, be mentored by then Lieutenant General Bruce Litchfield, mm-hmm. the uh, Sustainment Center Commander at the time, and okay. and uh, that and the the teammates I work with uh, really uh, learned the finer points of AOP and saw it uh, execute uh, in reality uh, more than just theory. Uh, that alone helped me understand the business component of our of our operation. And coming approaching this job as an aircraft maintainer. Uh, I left with a with an appreciation that this is really about supply chain, mm-hmm. with maintenance maintenance and support to that. Right. That, uh, in fact, we've sat down and, and did a podcast with the supply chain, and it was quite interesting to hear just exactly how big and important that process is. And we've talked a lot about AOP on this podcast as well. It's it seems to fit into every nook and cranny of what we do. So good to hear you talk about that. 
Um, so we do work on many legacy systems here, which creates a unique challenge for the AFSC. We have aircraft that are not supposed to fly for as long as they do, and we operate under a very high ops tempo with a much smaller workforce than we ever had. Uh, what are we doing here, sir, to overcome some of these challenges to ensure that we meet the workload, demand, and deliver parts and planes back to our customers? Well, that's a great question. Thank you. I'll tell you that first, it illustrates the value of having the supply chain and our air logistics complexes under one center. Mm -hmm. uh, the synergies, the day-to-day -day interaction, uh, make sure that we are synced in those. And together, the sustainment center then works with our customers, our other partners, say in Life Cycle Management Center or Air Force Nuclear Weapons Center, those program offices to make sure that we are left hand and right hand working together toward optimizing every sustainment dollar that comes into our, into our Air Force, getting more and more precise definitions of requirements. Mm -hmm. uh, but more importantly, as our legacy systems age, and we're flying aircraft into their you know fifth or sixth decade the, right. the, these days, we're often confronted with uh, the need for a part that that was never designed to be replaced. And so, um, what do we do when that happens? And, and furthermore, when we need them on, in small numbers. Mm -hmm. And so, increasingly relying on reverse engineering. Uh, here at Tinker, we have the React cell, and the mm -hmm. RE is for reverse engineering, uh, where we can uh, rapidly uh, um, reverse engineer, develop a technical package, and then remanufacture that part here in, in the 21st century for use. And in partnership with the engineers and the program offices, very often improving that same part mm -hmm. and allows uh, readiness to continue. Continue. This is the only way we're going to keep uh, airplanes in the air uh, into their, their sixth decade or so. Right, and something we hadn't intended on doing, but I, I would say we're becoming very good at that, that sort of business. Uh, and so, sir, you recently testified on Capitol Hill about the state of readiness and sustainment. Uh, in your testimony, you spoke of the challenges of a diminishing supply and manufacturing base to support our aging fleets and said that we were accelerating the use of predictive analytics such as condition-based maintenance plus or the, the CBM plus as we know it. Uh, and that was to minimize the time a weapon system is unavailable due to unscheduled maintenance. Uh, the Air Force is working toward two types of analytics to enable predictive maintenance. So, sir, can you tell us what they are and how they're benefiting our mission here? I'll be happy to. So, uh, the first are sensor-based algorithms development uh, that are working uh, on board their sensors to help identify degraded components or systems. And the, um, the Enhanced Reliability Center Maintenance, uh, ECRM, is being rolled out now across Lifecycle Management Center. Mm -hmm. The C5 program specifically has been leading the way on that. And that's very simple using historical data and current, discrepan current discrepancies to enable data-driven decisions uh, through component failure forecasting. Now, mm -hmm. I'll I'll take a tangent there to say that that forecasting benefits our supply chain right. uh, in, in valuable ways. Uh, the B1, as uh, another example, that program is using over 40 algorithms ac across uh, four of its systems uh, on board. And uh, here's where I'll talk about uh, conditions-based maintenance plus, right. which uh, uh, is uh, another one of those sensor-based uh, algorithms. And uh, for the B1, they're using, they've actually been able to use 24 uh, maintenance action alerts since October of 2018. Um, our supply chain uh, on the wholesale side, this will be the 448 supply chain management wing, right. has a budget just north of $6 billion uh, er wow. annually to um, purchase the repair um, of, of existing parts, overhaul of parts, but also uh, new, new parts coming into the system. Even $6 billion runs out. 
very quickly when you spread it across right a number of weapon systems that we support. Mm -hmm. And so the better precision that we can have in spending that money, the better uh, optimization and efficiency of our supply chain and, and therefore more readiness. So that's the benefits we get. Um, no matter how much money we have, we want to spend it absolutely and uh, as effectively as possible and squeeze every penny of readiness out of that dollar. Right. Uh, our, our readiness imperative uh, calls for it, and our taxpayers, uh, I think, deserve it. Right, and uh, we're doing quite an incredible job. It's just fascinating to know that we're actually at that, that point where we can actually start to predict these things. It is. Uh, I want to be clear that it's just getting started, right. and I believe this will uh, propagate um, – uh, as a daisy chain, as we learn more and more about it. One of my priorities as commander of the Statement Center has been asking our team to help uh, educate ourselves and our program office teammates so that we're all using the same um, vocabulary and mm -hmm. the same methodology so that if we learn something with one weapon system, we can very easily go horizontal and benefit in the others. All right. Great thinking, sir. Um, and of course, when we talk about things like this predictive analysis and predictive maintenance, that does come back to uh, our key fundamental, which is people. And so hiring, training, and retaining a high-quality workforce is not only critical to our workload and mission we do here, uh, but I think it's vital to our national defense. So authorities like the Direct Hiring Authority and Expedited Hiring Authority have been giving us uh, tools for hiring. Uh, how have they benefited the AFSC? Well, let me begin with that our workforce, the 40,000, are comprised of active duty military, mm -hmm. a very large civilian workforce. And we also get to work with a lot of uh, contractors as well in our right. midst. And, and together, this is nothing less than a world-class uh, workforce that benefits Air Force uh, readiness and our nation's defense. Mm -hmm. Very, very proud to be a teammate uh, of these folks. Um, on the civilian side, we have absolutely benefited from new authorities like DHA, you mentioned, uh, Direct Hiring Authority, and Expedited Hiring Authority. Uh, very simply, they've allowed us to get to yes with a potential employee uh, much, much faster. Right. Everything from the uh, science and technology folks that we're going after to uh, wage-grade technicians coming in with, with valuable technical skills. Um, you know, the sustainment center uh, depends on a 78% civilian workforce, so uh, we, we'll pay attention to this. And a fifth-generation Air, uh, Air Force deserves a fifth-generation work, uh, workforce. Uh, I mentioned STEM and, uh, and our need for, uh, for those uh, folks, but um, I'll just tell you that I'm very proud of our personnel folks and each of the complexes and wings that uh, working with these new authorities are the number of days uh, for traditional higher actions and uh, as, as Back in FY17 was 183. Wow. This past year, uh, we used DHA for 92% of our external hires, and of those, we did it in 65 days. So, mm. number one, this is cost-effective to get the employee in the door and working as quickly as possible. Mm. Number two, it's just courteous to get folks, you know, um, to uh, to not waste their time with unnecessary delays and onboarding. Right. Uh, it just makes us closer to what our, I'd say, our commercial industry peers are already doing. Right. And so I'm very proud of, of, of our um of our HR community for getting us to this point. That said, DHA and EHA are, by, by law, temporary authorities. Gotcha. And when I have the privilege of engaging our congressional representatives, I, I ask them for their support mm -hmm. to make it a permanent, um, permanent law. Interesting perspective. And it, it is difficult for us to compete with, with everybody on the outside. I mean, there's the talent pool is only so large. So. Well, let me address that. Sure. Um, yes and no. 
Yeah. There are there are uh, intangibles uh, for and against both both commercial uh, and inside the government. But I have found mm-hmm. that our workforce is very patriotic, yeah. and once they uh, once they join our team, many stay. Our retention is is enhanced by the public service and the call to duty that our civilian workforce uh, steps up. We could not survive without the expertise and continuity that our civilian workforce brings, mm-hmm. uh, which augments. Our, our military uniform um, employees who are all who of course uh, are the folks who are uh, ready to go at any at any uh, point in time right great point sir um, and so in a recent memorandum discussing reform through uh, focused pri- prioritization from the Secretary of Defense he did make mention of having the responsibility to gain full value from every taxpayer dollar spent on defense. And so paraphrasing some of this, he seems to be stating that this can only be accomplished by making some very tough decisions. Uh, Recently, sir, you made a decision to suspend the Civilian Fit for Life program. That had to be a difficult decision for you to make, and uh, one that came ahead of the SECDEF memo, but seems to align itself perfectly with that, that thought process. Could you take a second, sir, and just kind of walk us through your thought process on having to make that difficult decision? I'm happy to. The national defense strategy um, came with a very clear imperative for readiness. Mm -hmm. And so as I and our team looked at the various ways to to continue our cost-effective journey and make sure that we were providing a value to our to our customers by there, I mean program offices and both the Air Force, Navy, and joint joint, uh, community, to provide them as much value as possible. It very simply, the math um, made it clear that I needed mm-hmm. to look at all of our benefits to include Fit for Life. Um, of course, people continue to be my number one in priority, and this decision is not inconsistent with that. And while civilians are not expected to deploy at a moment's notice, their, their health and well-being obviously matter, uh, matters. Mm-hmm. We retain uh, employee assistance program, any other number of things that benefit our employees. And I encourage every employee, and I do this when I'm out at the wings, uh, to continue a personal fitness program using the f- a flexible time schedule that's been coordinated with their supervisor. Mm-hmm. Uh, flex time uh, has my support, and we're trying to implement that center-wide. I would add that all of our bases, Tinker, Robbins, Hill, and Scott, all have 24-hour fitness facilities available right. to, civil- to the civilian workforce and to use at their own time at, at no cost. This remains a tremendous benefit uh, for our workforce. And so um, bottom line, the temp- temporary suspension of the Fit for Life program is motivated by an increased readiness to support the national fence strategy and cost-effective readiness. All right. Well, thanks for taking the time to answer that, sir. And that, you know, and I'm sure that was a, a difficult decision to make, but it, good to know that, uh, you know, People, people are the priority for you, and there are still lots of uh, valuable resources that they can use. And so as a leader progresses through the ranks and gets to a position like yours, the time for getting out and about to know the men and women who serve and work for you becomes increasingly more difficult, especially in an organization that's as large as this one and spans multiple states. Uh, most don't have the opportunity to work closely with you or sit down and have a conversation on a podcast like I happen to have the, the privilege of today. Um, Move the Flag is an initiative that allows you to spend more time, uh, for a week at a time, at Hill and Robbins Air Force Base in Scott. Uh, and it affords you to spend some valuable time with the vast workforce. But there's still so little white space on your calendar to communicate to the airmen 
Uh, would you mind sharing with us your, your leadership philosophy? Well, I'll try. Okay. But, but let me first mention Move the Flag, which sure. is something that Mr. Stamey, our civilian executive director, and I very much value uh, um, and make sure that it's a pillar of the way we're going to lead together the Air Force Sustainment Center. Mm-hmm. Um, he and I are, in, in the course of our duties, travel a lot, but rarely together. And so if nothing else, Move the Flag provides us an opportunity to go to a base and see the same things together mm-hmm. and, and ingest what we're learning uh, think about it and seek local counsel for helping to make better decisions at the center level. Right. Um, so I'm committed to um, probably on about a seven or eight month cycle, get out to both Hill and Robbins and literally move the command flag. We take limited staff from up here, so it's more optics than reality. But while we're at uh, Robbins Air Force Base, they, mm-hmm. they take great pride in saying that, you know, that for this week at least, the headquarters of the center is in middle Georgia. <laughs> and Hill does the same. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it allows us to spend an entire week week there to uh, wake up every morning to uh, get the feel and the vibe and the rhythms of that of that location that community and that base and uh, see more and more people that we ordinarily wouldn't have and uh, I want to be clear that I view that as the beneficiary I am the person that benefits from that because um, I'm going to get to see that staff sergeant I'm going to get to see that WG employee uh, that GS 11 working in an office and get more in depth as to what they're doing um, in terms of uh, uh, leadership philosophy, uh, it's, it's pretty simple with me, and I've been mentored along the way, that my job as a leader, my job as a manager, as a senior logistician in the Air Force is very simply to remove constraints, to find resources, and simply to make it easy for others to do their job and do it well. Mm-hmm. And, and I generally organize my day and my priorities and my efforts around that, about making it easy for others to succeed. Wow, that's great, great philosophy. Very, very concise and compact, uh, and and it is important because we don't all get to to have any time around a three star. It's a it's a unique small. I group think of you'll <laughs> find it's not that big a deal. <laughs> I don't know, sir. I I think I think it's a big deal. Uh, and with that, we we talk about white space and and uh, your calendar, and so I think that's a great place for us to to wrap up and and let you get back to to the big thing. So thank you very much, sir, for taking the time out. My pleasure. Thanks for thanks for doing this. Awesome. And so with that, uh, thanks for joining us on another episode of Tinker Talks. Please don't forget to subscribe and download each episode and leave us some feedback and let us know what you think of the podcast and maybe give us some ideas on what you'd like to hear in the future. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and, of course, on divotshub.net, uh, our website, www.tinker.af.mil. Uh, You can also follow us on social media at Tinker Air Force Base on Facebook and Instagram and at team underscore Tinker on Twitter. And of course, for more information on AFSC specific news and topics, check out their website at www.afsc.af.mil and at Sustainment Center on Facebook. And so with that, uh, we're going to wrap up. Thank you for joining us again. And until next time, you have a great day and a better week.